A warm welcome to everybody. My name is Aston and welcome to my channel. I'll be uploading a lot of ministry content, some preaching, some Christian apologetics, substance abuse recovery material, and some life coaching principles and strategies. So we are doing Philippians chapter 1. And then we're actually making our way out of chapter 1 today. Can you believe it? Chapter 1, verse 27, all the way to chapter 2, verse 4. So it's chapter 1 from verse 27. Um, with our last one on Philippians, that's where we left off. Uh, just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's where we left it off. We're going to pick it up on that exact same note. And then we're going to go to chapter 2, all the way to verse 4. Are we there? Philippians chapter 1, commencing from verse 27, all the way to chapter 2, verse 4, and it reads as follows. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then, whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel, not being frightened in any way of your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but for your deliverance. And this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him having the same struggles that you saw I had and now hear that I have. If there is any, any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings. Focusing on one goal, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider, consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So, I was doing some, checking some commentaries um, on, on this verse and uh, a beautiful example that actually intrigued me on uh, the expository's Christ-centered um, Philippians is one of the authors actually share a story to link this passage to. And the story is actually from one of my favorite movies, uh, 300 Spartans. And if you have watched 300 Spartans, but it's this uh, 300 soldiers um, that is led by Leonidas and they are actually going to defend themselves and they go with only 300 soldiers. Now the challenge with the story is that their opponents outnumbers them by the hundreds to thousands. But here's uh, Leonidas not willing to back down from this fight 
but Leonidas wants to take this 300 men. The funniest thing about the movie is this 300 men make it until the end. Yes, in the end, um, they, are, they, are, they are murdered, but they make it all the way to Xerxes. Um, Xerxes is Leonidas' opponent, and he makes it all the way to Xerxes. Um, but without them working strategically, and when you look at the way that Leonidas had set up their 300 Spartans, they actually had a system um, that would block people, push um, them back, slaughter the front row, block again, push, slaughter the front row. But if one person never functioned in that, the entire team would have lost. Now, Paul's letter to the church at uh, Philippians, uh, Philippi, and Paul's encouragement to them about the gospel being advanced, Paul's engagement with them, and thanksgiving to them for the gifts that they give. Um, Paul sharing his joy that he has in the midst of him being in prison and his prayer for them. All of that, Paul comes to a conclusion, reminding them that there is suffering that comes with Christianity. Also along with that suffering that comes with Christianity, there has to be unity in the teamwork of the church. I'll say that again. There has to be unity in the teamwork of the church. Well, verse 27, just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what is, what is Paul's encouragement to the church? They ought to actually live their life worthy of the gospel. So keep in mind, we're not talking about worthiness in terms of getting saved. We know by now we can't. We are not worthy. But now Paul is not saying, show yourself worthy so God can save you. No, God saves us. And now we choose to live a life worthy of the gospel message. I want you to think about it in this way, okay? You, are, you, you, you win the lotto. You know, by now you should all be smiling and somebody should have said amen. You know? But you win the lotto. Yeah, there's a smile. I knew it. So, so you win the lotto. And with you winning the lotto, let's just say you are living in poverty. You win the lotto and now all of a sudden you can afford a beautiful home. Not only for you, but for your family as well. Now you can actually go to bed without your stomach rumbling because you haven't been satisfied with a meal to eat. Your situation has changed. But imagine this. You're still choosing to starve yourself as if you live in poverty when you have won the lotto. Does it make sense? No. Nor does it make sense now that God has given you grace for you to continue to love the way that you loved before His grace. Just one thing Paul says. Love your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's exhortation, encouragement to the church is that they would live their life in a way or in a manner worthy of the gospel. He says this, Then, whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind 
working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. So what is it to be worthy or to live worthy of the gospel or in a manner worthy of the gospel? Unity and teamwork. Now, something we need to remember is Paul describes the church in, um, when he writes to the church at Corinth, he describes the church as a body. And each part of the body has a different function. Okay? Your hand, you might use to pick up the food, but your mouth you use to chew the food. Your nose you use to smell the food. And if you are like me, before you taste the food with your mouth, you taste it with your eyes. You know, eye candy. And I see my food. But, but what about other characteristics about your body? Let's say you have an itch on your back. You use your hand to scratch the itch. Each body part serves as a specific function. Now here's the thing about the goal of the church. The goal of the church is for unity in teamwork. Now, when I say unity in teamwork, I'm not minusing the fact that we live for the glory of God. No, we know that. We live for the glory of God. And how do we display that glory of God? Unity. So, just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come see you or I'm absent. Suppose, like, even if I come and see you or even if I'm not there. I will hear about this. And what is it that you will hear? I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, working side by side. Now, I must say in my experience um, in starting church and building church, one of the most difficult things to do is to actually get a church service together on a Sunday. Now, here's the thing. There's an easy aspect to it. You know, it's easy to do church, but it's also difficult to do church. You know, the easy part is you gather everybody around, you say a prayer, and you preach a sermon. You pray for people after. But here's the thing. What about all the other gifts that is, being, that is there on a Sunday? Shouldn't all of those gifts be used to honor God? I come to the table with my gift. I'm uniquely gifted to preach. But here's the thing. What's the unique gift that God has given you? And how are you using that gift on a Sunday? You see, when you realize that in order to execute the Sunday service, it doesn't take a person, but it takes a group of people. You know, I'm just thinking about Sunday for an example. You know, um, I think Brother Lyle's first time being by the sound desk, he must have realized, hey, it's not as easy <laughs> as it looks. It's a little bit more complicated. I'm sure for Kim that was doing announcements, she must have realized, hey, it's, it's not that easy. Um, when Jasmine doing the program directing, she must have realized with, we had a lot of kids and, you know, uh, we had a special service because it does baby dedication. It's not so easy when there's other faces around. You know, for me, the difficult part was my voice has been taking some strain and, and I couldn't keep the people's attention. You know, everybody experienced the beauty of service and even the challenge of service. But think about this. If we all have to think about what was our challenges that we had and think about what can we do better next week Sunday? What can we do better next week Sunday? Imagine how beautiful 
and how expectant you become for church service. But not only that, you realize by now the vital importance of the role that you have to play. No, um, I know Earl was seeing his family over the weekend, but he was missed. He was missed for the value that he brings to a Sunday service. Now, what's Paul's desire for the church to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? What is the manner worthy of the gospel? That there will be unity in the teamwork of the church. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. Verse 28, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. Now, a big part of the reality of the gospel, especially for Paul, I mean, here's the guy in prison, writing to thank his fellow servants and his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, exhorting them, thanking them, praying for them, sharing his joy that he has because of them and because of the gospel. And he knows good well that there's opposition to the Christian faith. Now, if you've ever been um, opposed in anything in your life, you'll know that it's not something that is easy or something that is comfortable. You know, one of the defenders of our faith, when we look at Christian apologetics, we always look to, to, to um, the, the, the teaching of Peter in the Bible. But I always tell people, you need to remember something about Peter. Peter says now that we should learn what it's like to set Christ aside in our hearts as Lord. Then he says, always being ready to give a defense for anybody that asks you the reason for the hope that is within you. Think about that. He first says, before you can defend your faith, you have to have your faith. Set Christ Jesus aside in your heart as Lord. Now, with all of that being said, okay, a big part of defending our faith is to actually have a faith. And now, a big part of that is realizing that not everybody's just going to accept the fact that you have some sort of faith. Not everybody's going to accept um, that you say that your faith is true, that it is true. There will always be people to oppose it. There will always be people to oppose the Christian faith. And here, he wants the church at Philippi to know this, that they shouldn't be frightened in any way by the opponents. Look at verse 28. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance. Now keep in mind, what is a sign of destruction? Well, that is unity in the church. So that when the opponent comes, guess what? They can't slander the church. Now, I know for me, in my own personal life, I try my utmost best to make it a means that the church won't be hurt by anything that I do, anything that I say, the way that I conduct myself before people. But it doesn't change the fact that at some point throughout my ministry, 
people will be hurt by something. People will be offended by something. However, with all of that being said, we should continue to live in the unity. Why? Because it's God's command. And why? Because it's a life worthy of the gospel. And another thing we need to add to that, it's a sign of destruction for them. Oftentimes, I mean, people oppose, imagine people oppose the Christian faith. And then the end of day comes or they die. And then they, they end up in hell. Then they realize, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> they were actually true about what they were saying. But what is those signs on earth? That is unity in the church. So people will try and oppose the Christian faith. But one of the biggest strengths of the Christian faith is that everybody works in unity. Unity in teamwork is a sign of destruction for those who oppose the church because of how united the church can stand. Um, and then he ends with us and he says, and this is from God, and then we pick it up verse 29, for it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not to believe, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, hey, that's a part of Christianity that sounds so puzzling, you know. We thought we come to church just to receive. We receive. And, you know, the popular um, false teachings of the, 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 the word of faith movement is that, you know, that you, you have a miracle in your mouth and you just have to speak it and receive it. Now, true believers actually go through suffering. You know, and if you watch the life of true believers, you will see the life of people that suffer. I mean, we, we, we glory in the savage nature of Paul. But it doesn't change the fact that the man is in prison while writing this letter. He's in suffering. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ was killed. And obviously because it's Jesus, he has the ability to rise back to life. I was pondering on something today. Do you know, building or growing a church is not that difficult if you do it the wrong way. If you want a church to be popular, just please everybody. Say what the people want to hear. But when you say what the Bible teaches, and it's not a popular message, the numbers on your church are very, very dumb. And I mean, we, we, we see that Jesus didn't do mega church. Jesus has 5,000 people. Feeds them, gives them bread, gives them fish. And after that tells them that now they have to partake of his body and his blood. And the 5,000 people walk away. And, and Jesus looks to his disciples and what does he say? And you, shall you not depart? And Peter's the one that turns around and looks at Jesus and says, To whom shall we go? For you are the one that has the words of life. Apparently, Jesus even knew how to slim down and narrow down a large congregation to just 12. I call it this. Discipleship is always tested by doctrine. Moving along. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Don't forget this, that a big part of your Christian walk comes with suffering. You're not going to be the famous guy. You must understand that. You know? If you want to be Christian and popular, you're making a bad decision. 
You're not going to be the popular guy. You're going to be the least popular. You're not going to be invited to every party. You won't. You're not going to be invited to every circle. You won't. And especially if you stand firm in your belief. People will persecute you. But you will experience many suffering. Think about this. Okay? When you're in sin, you're not trying to resist it. Who, while smoking drugs, is thinking, ah, you know, I need, to, I need to resist this. No, you're in high at the moment. Are you trying to resist something that you're already intoxicated in? You know, a drunk person doesn't, doesn't say to themselves at that moment, ah, you know, um, I won't get drunk. They're drunk at that moment. Somebody living in sin is living in sin at that moment. You're not resisting evil. You are evil. But here's the thing, when you are saved from your evil life, you have to now resist that evil. It's a part of that suffering. Saying no, not, not everything is a God thing. All things is from God. But we have to use wisdom. Is that the, what, what God wants for us at that particular time in our life? Now I always tell people, if I had gotten everything I wanted out of life, maybe I wouldn't have been here today. And I had to realize that not everything that I wanted was of the Spirit, but it was of my flesh. If I got the nice car when I just got a job, maybe it would have destroyed me. Because why? I was still fleshly, still carnal. We have to walk away from things. We have to say no to things. We get opposed by people. We're not the popular ones. Christianity is not popular. True Christianity. And popular Christianity is not true Christianity. Verse 13. Having the same struggles that you saw I had and now hear that I have. What is that? Being persecuted for your faith. Imagine that. Being an outcast because of your belief. And your belief in Jesus. Chapter 2 verse 1 he says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings. Unity and teamwork. Unity and teamwork. Fulfilling my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. It takes me back to that picture of Leonidas. 300 Spartans, outnumbered by the armies of Xerxes. It, there's a scene in the movie where you can see that the arrows actually blot out the sun. When the guys are kneeling down and then one starts laughing, and he's like, yeah, we'll fight in the shade. Because they still remain as a team, even in the midst of this opposition. The sun can't even shine on them anymore with the amount of arrows that is flying into the sky to, 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 to slaughter them. And there they are taking cover, working as a team. And they all survive. One goal. That's what the church ought to have. One goal. Verse 3. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. So, so what, 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 what is a big part of that goal? Guess what? We're not in it for our own gain. We're not in it for our own gain. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. 
but in humility considers consider others as more important than yourself. I want I want to share this and I want you to listen to this. Humility is not thinking less about yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less about yourself. Oh, I'm useless, I'm nothing. You know, I'm not, I'm not. No, that's not it. That's not humility. Humility is not to think about yourself first. Thinking less of your needs. And thinking more of the needs of others. And come I tell you something. It's a difficult thing to do. People, and oftentimes people that speak about being humble. It's usually the people that are not humble. You know, I just, I'm just humble, man, you know. No, people that are humble don't say that they're just humble. And one thing that if, if you ever understand and acknowledge, I mean, I feel guilty when I read this. Consider others more important than yourself. It's like, it's like, it's like I feel convicted like, Lord, am I really thinking about others? Before myself. And I'll be honest. This is an area. That I need God to work in my heart. And work in my life. Yet there is some that will be around me. And say ah you know you probably think. About everybody else. Before you do yourself. And yes there is times when I think that. But here comes the thing. The ability to think like that. Comes from acknowledging. That my life is not for me alone. But my life is there. For others. And it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. You know, I shared with the, 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 the families yesterday with support group. I said one of the most challenging and most um, discouraging things that you can find is to work with people in addiction. It's challenging. It's not easy. The one, one, one week the numbers are large. Next week the numbers are slim. And it's not a shocker. I've been doing this for so long. I'm so, I'm used to it. But we always strive to see how can we do better. We always strive to see how can we make better. But in reality, it's still something that requires the input of others. However, we don't get discouraged. And we still pursue to see the benefit and the good in others. Do nothing out of rivalry. Let there not be division among you. Or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone, first of all, everyone should look out, not only for his own interests. So it's not, it's not that you shouldn't look out for your own interests, but not only your own. Not only your own interests, but also the interests of others. Now here's the big question, you know, reading all of this without taking this message to the cross. It's pure legalism. Means it's a standard of things that you need to do that will make you puffed up and righteous. Because there's unity. You have unity. You consider people better than yourself. You're the main man or the main woman. But here's the thing. This is not about legalism. This is the example we have because Jesus has laid down that foundation. And this is where um, he picks it up in verse 5. He says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. And we're going to pick that up again next week. Amen. 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 So we'll see next week how it links up to Christ and um, how he brings the message directly straight down to the gospel so elegantly.
Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day that we've had. Thank you for you being with us. Thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. Lord, we want to live our lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel. We know that there needs to be unity in your church. There needs to be teamwork in your church. Your word declares that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And your word says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send the laborers. Lord, we ask you to send laborers. We ask you to send workers. We ask you for you to send your people, Lord, so that we can do your church. With all of that being said, let us work with unity. Let's work side by side. Let us work in content for the faith that comes from the gospel. Let there be unity in us. Let us not pursue the unity of the church for our own interest, but consider others more than ourselves. Lord, where we are, where, where we are wrong, correct us. Where we need to be taught, teach us. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for the example that you have laid down at the cross of Calvary. Jesus, you emptied yourself so that we could be called children of God. Thank you for the cross of Calvary where you humbled yourself and you became obedient to the point of death. And through that death on the cross, we can be called your children today. In Jesus' mighty name, we give you all the glory, all the praise, and the honor. Amen.